It's one kind of thing on the page. There's a kind of rhythm that we create in our own minds while we're reading a poem, but there's an entirely different one when you hear the poet read it. After I finally got used to narrating the book, I was surprised to find that it was actually kind of fun. I would like to have done my book in some kind of dialect. Maybe just talk more Texas-like, like this. I'd like to get through all them philosophical problems in this kind of voice. Welcome to This is the Author, where authors talk about narrating their audiobooks. In this episode, meet poet Adrian Matika, writer and artist Pik Xuan Fung, and author David Searcy. If you love poignant stories that are told straight from the heart, tune in to listen to these writers discuss the inspirations behind their work. Hear Adrian Matika on the power of music in the pandemic, Pik Xuan Fung on grief and art, and David Searcy on his experiences recording his book. Enjoy. This is Adrian Matika. I was inspired to write this book in part because of the pandemic and being at home, being isolated from my family and friends, spending a lot of time thinking about what I would be doing outside if I was able to be out there, and listening to a ton of music. I think most of us were taken aback by how quiet the world became, and inside of that quiet, music took on a different kind of vibrato for me. It became a different kind of experience listening to David Bowie, for example, post-pandemic <laughs> than it did before we were all stuck at home. The book is also a response to some very difficult romantic parts of my life, you know, divorce, you know, rediscovery of romance and the wonder of human interaction and connection after that. So I tried to work through all of that in the poems in Somebody Else Sold the World in a way that might be useful for other people who experienced the same things. If I had to describe the experience of recording an audiobook in one word, it would be terrifying. <laughs> to spend seven hours hearing my own voice being piped in to my ears was a lot to manage. I mean, I think I sound one way. <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm traveling in the world, I think I sound like Barry White, but then when I hear what I actually sound like, it's a little bit more like Elmer Fudd or something. And so it was really frightening to me to hear my enunciations and also how often I say, um, you know, even reading the poems, I was catching myself wanting to add little disclaimers in the middle of words. I'm most proud of actually making it through the poems without making too many mistakes and reading them as I actually wrote them. When I read ordinarily at a, a bar or at a lecture hall or wherever I read poems, I make things up as I'm going along, and I make sort of remixes of the poems while I'm reading them. And so to read them as if they were a music score as opposed to something to be improvised off of was a great joy to me and a new experience. I'm excited for listeners to hear how I meant the poems to be heard. And, you know, what I mean by that is it's one kind of thing on the page. There's a kind of rhythm that we create in our own minds while we're reading a poem, but there's an entirely different one when you hear the poet read it. And so I'm hoping that some of that rhythmic intention and some of my enthusiasm for the language itself comes through. My dream narrator for these poems would be David Bowie. 
I would love to hear what he would do with these, these works that were also inspired by his music. The last great audiobook I listened to was Lolita, and it was voiced by Jeremy Irons. And if you know anything about that strange and complicated story, Jeremy Irons sounds just like Humbert Humbert. Like, he sounds like what I thought Humbert Humbert would sound like when I was reading the book, you know, 20 years ago for the first time. It was terrifying and also really beautiful in terms of the narration and the language around this, you know, very difficult book. I love to listen to audiobooks while I'm driving. I have a commute that's an hour long each way. And so I remember one time it took me the entire school year commuting back and forth to listen to the audiobook of The Song of Fire and Ice from Game of Thrones. And it was, you know, 72 hours worth of narration, and I listened to the whole thing one semester. And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. Somebody else sold the world. And before I knew it, the violet sky flagged with the sun's violent demands. For magnolias in bloom, natural light, any place magnanimous without locks or doors. Different kinds of masks for being and breathing. The antagonists with their vanity tans and usual mischiefs whistled jingles about liberties and wars as we buttoned up our confinement and dreamed about hugging. We talked about was and when when we missed our friends and dentist appointments. Hi, I'm Pixuan Feng, the author of Ghost Forest. I wrote my book between my first and second years of art school in the summer after my dad passed away. So I was in a space of grief, and I was also searching for my voice as a painter. One day, I sat down and I wrote a vignette, and I really liked that it had a circular quality. So I wrote a few more, and then I recorded myself reading out the vignettes and I made it into a short video with visuals of fragments of a Chinese ink painting. And then eventually I realized that I just wanted to write, so I expanded the book into an early draft of 15,000 words, and that became the first version of Ghost Forest. If I had to describe the experience of recording my audiobook in one word, that word would be unexpected. I didn't expect to be so aware of my own body, of every little movement I made, and the sounds that my stomach made, and the breaths that I took. And I also didn't expect it to feel so supportive, because I felt so supported by my director, Maureen Monterubio, and my audio engineer, Rebecca Drapkin. And after I finally got used to narrating the book and felt more relaxed and comfortable, I was surprised to find that it was actually kind of fun. I didn't know that my entire life I pronounced the word accepted wrong. I thought it was accepted. The thing I'm most proud of about my narration is probably the sense of spaciousness, or at least that's what I hope listeners will hear. 
and feel and experience a sense of space. If I hadn't narrated this book myself, I would cast either my sister, although I know she would say no, or I would cast my friend, the singer Joyce Chang, because she has a really beautiful voice. The last great audiobook I listened to was The Changeling by Victor Laval. I loved it so much because the story is so unsettling and scary, yet his voice is so soothing, and that made for a really interesting combination. My favorite place to listen to audiobooks is in my apartment while I clean. And now, listen to a clip from my audiobook. I wasn't supposed to have any children, you know. When I was 21, my right lung collapsed. The first doctor I saw said I needed surgery, but the second doctor I saw said I needed injections. I decided to get the injections, so every night after work, I went from my office in Guntong to the doctor's clinic in Central. Luckily, the subway in Hong Kong was built by then. Hi, this is David Searcy, author of The Tiny Bee That Hovers at the Center of the World. I wrote my book because I was inspired by an event which is described at the beginning of the book. In fact, it was a visit to Arcosanti in Arizona, about 70 miles north of Phoenix. Arcosanti is that now aging, utopian, architecturally ideal miniature city that was designed and built by the visionary architect Paolo Soleri. It's still out there, and it's still a vision of the future. I've been aware of it since the 70s. It was more currently interesting than you'd see Sunday features on it, a story in the paper occasionally. These strange structures, dome-like, futuristic, science fiction-y looking structures, it looked like made of sand, and it was in a sense because they were all made out of the local dirt. The future was built out of dirt somehow. That idea appealed to me immensely. And when driving up the highway on the way to Flagstaff, to visit Lowell Observatory, my girlfriend, then eventually my wife, Nancy, spotted a highway sign for Arcosanti. What the hell? How can you have a highway sign for heaven or something that abstract? But we went there, sat in the visitor's center of the future, as it were, and there was something strangely suspended and miraculously and exhilaratingly ambivalent about it. The future was deteriorating already, and Arcosanti is already very ambivalent. There are a lot of archaic architectural conventions that join with the futuristic ones. And the whole thing looks like an ancient ruin in a way from a distance with these tall funereal cypresses all around. But sitting there eating vegetarian lasagna, which is very good, by the way, and feeling suspended between past and future, but feeling suspended in a more general sense that began me thinking about our suspension as individuals, as the self is itself suspended in between itself. There's a paragraph that just says, here's a theory for you. There is you, and there is a you that knows there's you. And we exist, in effect, in that gap between the two. We are always in that gap between the two, always oscillating 
back and forth within our own self-awareness as if negotiating a kind of vacuum at our center. And the book is about that vacuum. It is about our lostness and ultimately about the ecstatic, the exhilarating quality of that very lostness. Trying to describe in one word what it was like to record my audiobook. I have not done this before. The word would be glaring, I think. Not just because I'm reading into an illuminated screen. There is an actual physical glare involved. And I'm very old-fashioned. I write on a legal pad, not on a computer, because I scratch out so much stuff and make notes to myself. I can't do that on a computer. Anyway, it's the glare of that screen for however many hours it took. But it's also the glare of my own words. If you're reading to yourself, your mind can drift back and away, out the window. But no, you're reading it straight through for an audiobook, and you're just immersed in that irradiating glare of your own pretension, in a sense, to write these things. There is a glare of myself, speaking of the self, glaring back at me that I cannot look away from. And that's interesting. I'm not sure I want to do it again, but it was worth doing. I had very good people with me. With regard to whether I discovered I had trouble pronouncing certain words, just a couple. There's an astronomer, his last name is, I couldn't recall if it was Slipher or Slifer. It turns out it's Slifer, so that's good to know. Asymmetrical or asymmetrical. That's, uh, let's go with asymmetrical. But small stuff like that. Well, I guess I'm proud that I was able to do, or not proud exactly is the wrong word. I'm gratified to be able to think that perhaps I get some sense of the exhilaration in the middle of the sadness of this book. There is sadness, and there's sadness in it. And there's a tendency toward a kind of melancholy. But emerging out of that is an exhilaration. And by the way, there is a paragraph in there that tells what happens when you die, which turns out to be a case for immortality. I think that should appeal to everyone. Who would I cast to um, read my audiobook if it weren't me? I would like to have done my book in some kind of dialect, maybe a kind of Matthew McConaughey. Maybe just talk more Texas-like, like this. I'd like to get through all them philosophical problems of this kind of voice, like some West Texas rancher. I, when I start doing that kind of voice, I can't get out of it. There's something from my background that likes that sound. I've never listened to an audiobook. My wife does and loves them. Maybe I've listened to parts of hers. And I still don't really know if it's a physical object or some abstraction that you can subscribe to. I have no idea. I've yet to emerge into the 21st century, as I indicated. I type everything up on an old manual typewriter, write on a legal pad, so don't know much about audiobooks. This is a new thing for me altogether. Maybe I'll listen to me. And here it says we're going to listen to a clip from my audiobook. About 70 miles north of Phoenix, Nancy, my girlfriend then, eventually my wife, Spots a highway signed for Arcosanti. Good Lord, I had no idea. I would have thought it too abstract for a highway sign. This way to the strangely pure yet vague accumulation of ideas toward what the future ought to look like made of sand, as it seemed to me, or sandy concrete, I suppose, back in the 70s when you'd hear about it now and then, get glimpses on the news a Sunday feature on the visionary architect Paolo Soleri and his followers who, termite-like, appeared to form those weird utopian architectural notions out of desert. This is the Author is a production of Penguin Random House Audio. Thank you for listening.
For more behind the mic content and audiobook recommendations, visit www.penguinrandomhouseaudio.com/nextlisten.